Houston's most luxurious tasting event is back. The Truffle Masters, hosted by DR Delicacy, features 26 Houston chefs competing to see who can make the best dish featuring prized fresh black truffles. This is a VIP-only experience, and two levels of tickets are available with a top-level patron VIP ticket including a special cocktail hour to meet chefs, media, and judges, and an exclusive lounge with a vodka and champagne bar and more. Visit thetrufflemasters.com for all the details. William Price Distilling Company, a local Houston business, has debuted its cocktail club with perks, freebies, and gifts all year long. Purchase an inaugural membership and receive items such as free distillery tour passes, a monthly tasting room credit, member-exclusive specials such as Taco Tuesdays and Whiskey Wednesdays, and a holiday gift pack. Visit WilliamPriceDistilling.com membership for details on each of the three membership levels. It's Houston Restaurant News Today with HoustonFoodFinder.com editor and publisher Phaedra Cook. Today, Phaedra chats with Chef Terrence Gallivan. The former co-owner of the Past and Provisions is returning to the Houston dining scene with Elro Pizza and Crudo, soon to open where Montrose meets Midtown. But first, Phaedra checks in with Chef Nick Wong to find out what's going on with the new Georgia James Tavern, now on Houston Restaurant News Today. Hi, Chef Nick. Hi, Phaedra. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing great. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. First of all, you are now over at Georgia James Tavern. Mm -hmm. You were previously at UB Preserve, which is now closed. Yep. What has the transition been like from to, you know, from a, a restaurant to a tavern? Um, I think for me, the biggest change is kind of just learning the physical space. Um, this is the smallest kitchen I've ever been in ever in my entire career. Um, and uh, just kind of still getting my legs under me with, um, with regards to the clientele here and kind of the way they want to dine and the way they, way they want to drink. It's, um, it's a different crowd than Montrose, obviously downtown is different. So I'm still, I'm still learning about the neighborhood, still learning about our guests. And um, hopefully I'm starting to get a little bit of a better hang of it right now. But I think over the next couple of months, I'll be able to really dial it in. Now, for our listeners who may not already know, we should talk about your background as a chef. Tell me about what brought you to Houston and where you were before that. Before I moved to Houston, I was working in New York for quite a while. I was the chef at Momo Fukusam Bar. And uh, the connection to Houston was we had invited Chris Shepard to do a guest chef dinner with us. I want to say sometime in 2016. I think. And when I ended up leaving New York, I decided to cross country road trip it back to California. And on the trip, I decided I want to stop by Houston. And the only person I knew in Houston was Chris Shepard. So I reached out to him and I asked if he had any recommendations, suggestions. And when I got here, he you know rolled out the red carpet as Chris does. And he kind of interviewed me slash recruited me during that trip. Although it was not to my knowledge. Um, <laughs> when I got back to California, he shot me a text 
uh, just wondering if I got home safe. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's very nice of you. Thank you so much. I, I made it home safe. I had a good time. And he called me a couple of days later and he said, hey, we're opening up this concept soon. Is, is this something you'd be remotely interested in? Would you be interested in moving to Houston? And I said, well, you know, I'm living at home with my parents and I'm unemployed. So nothing's really off the table at this point. So let's, you know, stay in contact. Uh, he ended up flying me out in 2018 just to check out the city just for a week. And at the end of that week, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm in, let's do this. So I uh, flew back to California. Two weeks later, drove out to Houston. Just a little bit over a month after me getting to Houston, we opened up Preserve, and that's what it was. That is a serious cross-country journey. What was taking you to California? Were you, are you from there originally? Yes, I'm originally from the Bay Area. Yeah, born and raised. So you went from East Coast back to West Coast and then ended up on the Third Coast. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, well, that's, that's how it turned out. That, that's a win for Houston. Uh, yeah. I know that many people have really appreciated your work. What, how, how is your food perspective for Georgia James different than what you were doing for UB Preserve? So the food direction for the tavern, um, I'm still figuring this out. I, I think I'm literally at my one month mark to, today, maybe, or tomorrow. Um, I started just before the new year started. Oh, I'm still just trying to suss it all out with the physical limitations of this kitchen and also uh, learning how to work on a, uh, a hearth, which is new for me. I've never, I've never worked in a wood-fired hearth before. The tavern is on the first floor mm-hmm. of a building downtown. So how do you, how does the smoke get vented from the wood-fired hearth? Oh, we, we have a hood right above it and it's, pretty strong so and it's not super duper smoky it's just very hot interesting yeah because i know the whole wood burning aspect can kind of just be a challenge uh for you know buildings and ventilation and and things like that what all what all are you making on that hearth right now we are cooking a, a few vegetable well not a few just one vegetable item right now and a seafood item um, we have some hearth roasted leeks that uh, are served with a onion soubise, a little bit of lemon Dijon vinaigrette, some breadcrumbs, and some trout roe. We have some head-on prawns that we're doing in the hearth. Oh, also the hearth is uh, gas assist, um, so it's not purely a wood-burning oven. We, we use wood every now and then just to flavor some things, but I'm not feeding wood into it like we like they do at one fifth. We have these uh, hearth-roasted head-on prawns that we're serving with some nam jim, which we took over from preserves. What else is coming off the hearth? Uh, we have a hearth-roasted chicken. That yeah. all sounds amazing. One thing that you've really established a reputation for as a chef is being able to take elements of your heritage and the cuisine that you grew up with and melding that in some really interesting ways with some Southern cuisine. I mean, the, the Budan Shumai that was at UB Preserve, for example, I thought that was really brilliant. Are you doing, are you kind of continuing with that sort of food perspective? For the time being, um, again, since I'm still just getting my legs under me, I'm trying to stay away a little bit from that right now until I feel more comfortable with what we can produce consistently out of this kitchen. One of the other huge changes moving from preserved over here to the tavern 
with regards to that specific, you know, my heritage and cooking, a lot of that was due to me having a walk station for the first time in my career at Preserve. So it was really a great opportunity for me to kind of connect with my culture and heritage and for the first time in my my work life and really bring that to life. So here I don't have a walk, so it's a little bit more difficult. And I'm not trying to force anything that's not going to work. I'm not going to force any sort of cuisine or anything. And also, I just need to really look at the space and see exactly what is possible. Yeah, it sounds like because of the limited size of the kitchen, you're really looking at the tools that you have on hand and, and saying, well, how can I best maximize what I have to work with here. Yes, exactly. And the other thing about that is I I don't want people to think of the tavern as, you know, UB Preserve 2.0. Like the the tavern has its own voice that we are going to develop here over the next coming months. And, you know, I I really don't want it to feel like, oh, we're just bringing back all the stuff over from Preserve. Like there's no crispy rice salad here. There's no, there's no salt and pepper squid. There's no fajitas. Um, I'd like us to start creating something that is distinctly for the tavern instead of just us being, you know, another version of Preserve or another version of Georgia James. I would like us to be the tavern and have our own voice. How do the customers perhaps differ downtown from, say, Montrose? Um, Something I'm learning, and um, I think as things start to open up a little bit more, uh, the pre-theater crowd, that rush, I've never had that before. I got my first taste of it uh, the past couple weekends, and, you know, that's new. I've never had just this huge rush of people from 5.30 to 7 o'clock and in and out in an hour, and they're all on their way to shows. That's been new. Oh, yeah, that's really uh, in- interesting. Yeah. That crowd, it's almost like you got to get them in and get them out. Because they've yeah. got a sh- show to go to. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard that once offices kind of start to open back up again downtown, we'll have some more of that clientele in as well, the office workers. Um, and also just the, the tavern itself. We have a huge bar here, so... I mean, almost half the seating is at the bar. So we have a lot of people just coming in for even just pre-show drinks or they're coming back from a night out or, you know, we're just a stop on the way to somewhere else, like have a drink, have a snack. Um, So that's definitely kind of figuring into how I'm trying to build out the menu and think about food here. Now, Georgia James Tavern is on the bottom floor of Market Square Tower. Do you get a lot of residents who are regulars who maybe they just live in that tower or one of the nearby ones and and they come by every couple of weeknights for dinner there i haven't been here long enough to kind of spot who our regulars are i know a couple of them because i'm in the kitchen i don't really necessarily get to see oh this person that's here all the time this is a resident or they're just live in the neighborhood as i kind of start to feel out our our guests a little bit more and kind of get to know them more i i'm, I'm sure we do have some folks coming in you know a couple of times a week just for dinner or snacks from from upstairs but i'm i i don't really know who those people are just just yet i'm sure you'll get to know them over time with dishes that you are currently serving are there particular because it is you know called a tavern are there particular drinks that you think would pair well with certain dishes? We have a, a pretty great wine selection. I'm, I'm not a big wine person, but our general manager, Fremiot, he is 
the person to talk to about pairing some wines with some stuff. I'm more of a cocktail person. So, you know, most of our stuff is, is going to probably start heading more toward like a little bit of a high acid, a little bit lighter, a little bit less rich, less dairy. So I'm, I normally go for maybe like a gin cocktail to kind of go with some of our food to start wine. Again, I don't really know much about, which I probably should know more about, but uh, we have so, we have people here that can help you out with that for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. All the underbelly <laughs> restaurants end up having really great drink programs to pair with the food. What are, if, if someone was coming there for the first time, are there a couple of dishes that you would say that these are must tries? For right now, I definitely think the, the hearth roasted prawns are, are something to get. They're very simple. It's literally just shrimp and sauce. The prawns are cooked on a little fajita platter inside the hearth. And so when we put the sauce on, it sizzles and the sugar caramelizes and the fish sauce aromatizes and it smells great. It's this very, I want to say, I guess, visceral kind of thing. You eat it with your hands. We do serve it with the shell on. I encourage people to, you know, rip the head off, bite the head and suck out the juices. And personally, I just bite right through the shell because we roast them so hard that the shells get so brittle. And I think all the flavor lives in the shell for, for shrimp. And that's how I eat it. Just pick it up and just eat it with, with your hands. Um, That's such a great tip and such a great perspective because you're right. When those shrimp shells are really kind of, you know, toasty and brittle, they have they really are edible and they have yeah. such a nice crunch. Yeah, it. Is, I mean, part of that is also just because I'm kind of lazy. I don't want to peel my shrimp, but I do think that they do taste better. So there is another reason for it besides me just being lazy. Um, we have a great octopus carpaccio dish uh, that my sous chef slash our floor manager, Leela Frank, put on. Cooked octopus that we press into a tree mold and shave it very thinly and just served with a uh, tremula sauce on top, a little bit of breadcrumbs. And she made octopus XO sauce out of the heads of the octopus. So it's very savory, very great start to the meal, kind of sets the tone, um, but still very light and very shareable. That sounds so wonderful. And again, you know, seeing some integration of, of ingredients from different cultures in that dish too. That's uh, something that's never going to leave, I guess, my, I guess you call it my style of cooking. I want to keep on pulling from different influences to just try to make something that's neither this nor that, but very distinctly ours. So again, that's trying to push for the tavern having its own voice that sounds great and it has just has such great potential for new discoveries things that combinations people have not ever tried before and then you find out wow this really really works yep just just like the city of houston <laughs> right yeah i'm actually i'm looking at the website right now and i see where you have added that pre-event pre-fee menu for those theater goers we are working on uh, building that out as well as our dinner menu, our brunch menu, our lunch menu. So again, I, this is the end of my first month here and I'm still working on fleshing some of these, these things out. But over the next month or so, hopefully we'll be in a good place where we can execute and crank a little bit more out of this kitchen um, than what we currently have on. I want to be nosy about one of the dishes. You have a dish on the menu called pot roast tartare. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds really interesting because often, you know, a, a tartare is going to be kind of like a, a raw beef dish. How, 
how is this pot roast tartare? So this is actually a dish that was on the menu when I got here. And uh, this is our, well, used to be a sous chef here, Lucas McKinney. He's still within the company. Um, he's kind of being a jack of all trades right now, helping out with all the openings. You may have heard we're expanding quite a bit. Um, but this is his kind of brainchild. Uh, he kind of took the flavors of a pot roast and kind of combined them with the context of a tartare. So we do uh, diced tenderloin um, and it's seasoned. Your very standard tartare flavorings like shallot, uh, chives, salt, pepper. We do render out a little bit of beef fat and uh, combine it with some oil to kind of give the beef a little bit more savoriness. But the kind of pot roast elements that are there is uh, there's a, a roasted carrot puree. Uh, there's a, like a small celery salad. And so that's your kind of mirepoix from your pot roast. It's topped with some shushing potatoes that we fried. So, you know, potatoes and pot roast, that's a good combo. And a little bit of caramelized onion aioli on there to give it a little bit more savoriness and that kind of sweetness from roasted onions that you would get in your, or like, you know, pearl onions you get from your pot roast. Fantastic. That's very interesting. Now, I know this is a little bit of a pedantic question. I'm going to apologize in advance, but trust me, our listeners want to know, what is the parking procedure? The parking procedure, we do have complimentary valet because, you know, obviously we're part of uh, the Market Square Tower building. I don't suggest trying to park on the street. I have not really explored parking options on the street here, but if you're pulling up, just pull right into the valet on Preston. And that is complimentary. That's, you know, that's on us as a way to, you know, make it easier for people to come into the tavern that don't live in the neighborhood. That sounds very convenient. I think people are always a little, you know, if, if they don't live downtown, they're a little worried about like, oh, where am I going to park? Yeah, exactly. That sounds very easy. So It's definitely been taken care of. Any other thoughts about the direction that, you may be taking this menu for the time being uh it's been more of an editing process trying to really trim things down and kind of having the mentality again this is more of a kitchen nerd kind of trying to figure out what we can put out from this kitchen of less components on things just because we don't have the physical space to put anything and anything that we kind of put on needs to have high impact but be very simple, um, kind of almost taking cues from like Spanish tapas, uh, like Casamono in New York, or even just um, street food things that are just like, seems like a very simple preparation, but it's delicious. And, you know, it's like, you know, whatever it's, whether it's marinated sardines or like a pan con tomate or, you know, just a bowl of noodles, like these are foods that you can execute in very tiny places, but have really amped up the impact through flavor or, you know, pre, pre-done technique or like preparation to really just kind of make the execution a lot simpler and quicker and more efficient when it comes time to cook. Those do sound like bang for the buck, flavor-filled kind of dishes. And definitely kind of stripping down on the components and really kind of questioning with each dish does this item need to be on here? Is this contributing a lot more? And again, that is definitely a space issue. So 
really just is the is the juice worth the squeeze has been a saying we've been saying a lot this past month. I, I love I love that saying and the company overall underbelly hospitality has so it's juggling so much right now and it's got so many balls in the air with the closings and the openings and all that. I can certainly see where uh, that kind of efficiency of effort is on everyone's minds. Yep, definitely. Well, is there anything else that you would like for our listeners to know about Georgia James Tavern? Um, I think that's about it. Just can't wait to see you all here. Thank you so much for spending time with me, Chef. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, Phaedra talks with Chef Terrence Gallivan of Elro Pizza and Crudo to find what it's like to build a restaurant out of a house. Hi, Terrence. Hi. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for joining me for the podcast. And congratulations. I'm thrilled that you're opening a new restaurant. I wanted Appreciate to, it. I wanted to first ask you about the name, uh, which is Elro Pizza and Crudo, E-L-R-O. What does the name mean? Yeah, so it's just a, a mashup of my two children's names, my uh, daughter Eleanor and my son Ronan. Um, and we were just, you know, like anytime you're naming a plate, it's always kind of a, a trying task. So you just want to make sure it resonates with, you know, not only with yourself and with, you know, your family, but also just something that's kind of personal as restaurants tend to be, especially uh, smaller ones. So it seems like a good fit. How old are your kiddos now? So Eleanor is six, and Ronan's about to be five at the end of February. Oh, my gosh. Time truly does fly. Yes. All the cliches are true. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, what – it's really just uh, within a mile of your former restaurant, the Passion Provisions. What drew you back to basically the same neighborhood? Well, it's been, I, I, mean, I live in the neighborhood here, um, and basically since I've moved – to Houston uh, about 10 years ago. It's, my wife and I have lived in essentially the same neighborhood and in this, this specific neighborhood for about the last eight years. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a location that actually we had looked at many years ago, um, and then it just was still sitting empty when, um, you know, as, as I started to kind of like look towards this, you know, I took a little time off after P&P, and then I started to kind of figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, I realized it was still sitting there, and I thought, you know, for this concept, it was sort of like the perfect size. So. Now, it's interesting because this is basically, it's a house. It's like a, a cottage. What attracted you to opening a restaurant in that kind of place? Well, naively, I thought it would be uh, simpler, <laughs> but it turns to be, it turns out to be quite the opposite. Uh, but... But um, honestly, it was just, you know, as, as you probably recall, P&P was a big operation. You know, we had two concepts plus a bar plus private dining, um, and it was a lot of wheels and turning at once. And so I think just, just a little simpler, um, something that I can, you know, really focus on, um, you know, kind of like a really tight idea of a, of a place where the menu is, is not set, but it's like a, there's a little, you know, there's kind of more standards and then with a kind of a rotating cast of, of seasonal specials or, you know, if we get some nice product coming in uh, seasonally to kind of change things up. Um, but just an opportunity to kind of really like hone things down, make it a little more manageable um, on, on my end, but also just something that was a little less um, taxing in terms of 
you know, two full menus, you know, bar menu, wine lists, you know, obviously just the, the running of the business, um, all the things that come with that. So um, it was informed by a lot, but I think, you know, I mean, it's been a, a long enough time now where the, the, heel, the, the wounds have healed mostly in terms of uh, the closing uh, passive provisions. But I think, you know, at the time, a lot of my, what informed uh, this concept was sort of the opposite of what we were doing there. Um, obviously, there's pizza, and there's a huge similarity there because pizza was a big part of what we did in provisions. But um, I think the similarities sort of end there a little bit where it's just, it's just it's super casual. Um, you know, it's really small. It's a place that, you know, it's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to turn out 500 covers a night kind of place, which would be great if we did. But, you know, I think it's just, it's. I mean, I, I want, obviously want to be busy, uh, but I also want to be something that I can manage um, without, you know, Killing myself. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a lot of time revisiting ancient history, but I never was entirely clear about what happened with the past and provisions. I mean, as you know, I loved both sides of that restaurant. I was there frequently. Absolutely, yes. And there wasn't really, when it closed, I was actually looking back at some of the older articles about it, and I, was, I don't think a reason was really stated when it was announced when it was closed. What went into that decision? Uh, I mean, honestly, it was strictly business. I mean, we were on a sort of a steady decline in terms of revenue for, for a couple of years. Um, and it was not it was nothing dramatic. It wasn't like you know, the, the bottom just dropped out or something like that. It's just kind of, you know, we went from a certain point of success uh, financially that and then it just kind of slowly tapered off over the course of like two and a half, three years. And then, you know, it's like in the lifespan of a restaurant, obviously you hope you let your, your, especially your first one that you own can go on forever and, you know, you can, you know, just keep it going for as long as possible. Um, but, you know, it got to the point where I think we could have kept going um, for another few months, maybe, maybe another year. But I mean, honestly, if, if we hadn't closed, the pandemic definitely would have killed us. So I think, it just was a, I mean, obviously it was an extremely difficult decision to make. Um, and at the end, we were really struggling with staffing issues and, um, you know, it was just, it was just a hard operation to maintain while you're slowly going out of business, but you're also like really, you're killing yourself like you were when you're open the place in terms of man hours and, um, you know, what was required to run the place. And we always kind of told ourselves that Seth and I are, and our partner, um, you know, if it ever, ever came to that point, we would make sure to do it properly, meaning we weren't going to just like, you know, lock the doors in the middle of the night sort of thing. We were going to you know, make sure, you know, it's like you pay your vendors, you take care of your staff, you know, all, all the things you're supposed to do. And when rent just became, you know, our landlord wasn't willing to budge on the rent at all. And, you know, it wasn't like, it was just, I think at that point, we had a lot more competition in the city. I mean, there were a lot more restaurants, a lot more restaurants of our ilk. And I think, um, you know, it just became, it wasn't, strictly wasn't viable at that point. And um, it was tough for sure. I mean, it was definitely like a, it was definitely kind of this kind of gasping for air, kind of come up and go, what the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah. And it had to have um, been just a super, you know, kind of a bittersweet thing because you and your chef partners, Chef Seth Siegel Gardner, you were James Beard Award semifinalist two years in a row, I believe. 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. The and something else that had occurred to me, and it may or may not have been a factor, but yeah, I do know that you practically lived at the restaurant, and you both started families at that time. And the drain on your uh, family life was kind of this big, ambitious, demanding restaurant could not have possibly been easy. No, I mean, it was definitely, I mean, much like any sort of business, especially one that you, you know, small business that you enter in, um, you know, Seth and I were, our lot, and the, the two of us and our wives, we kind of entered into this thing together, and like in 2000, I guess, we moved here in 2011, um, and it was, you know, it was just kind of like this, like, we're going to give this a shot, it doesn't work, we can say we tried, and, and you know, kind of, you know, at least have that, you know, point of pride. And when it didn't, when it ended up being successful, we were in going in, obviously, like, you know, once the rest of your life kind of starts coming, it's, it's in terms of having a family, you know, you know, just getting older, getting more mature, perspective obviously changes quite a bit. Um, priorities change a little bit too. Um, and so, I mean, it definitely was, a, it was taxing in the sense that it was just like, you know, you're getting pulled in a million directions. Obviously, sleep is the, High commodity and all that and all that stuff. Um, but I will I will say you know that you know having the fact I mean I hope um, Seth's eldest his son Levi and my my daughter Eleanor like I think they'll remember a little bit of it because they were, you know having them kind of running around and being part of the restaurant was always kind of near and dear to me. I, I one of my first jobs I kind of grew up watching the chef and, and his wife who own the place and their kid getting dropped off. And I was always kind of like, you know, after school and like going, to, you know, drop his book bag in the dining room and go and help wash dishes and stuff like that. I always thought that was like a kind of a, a, a nice thing, like a nice thing to kind of keep in the family, so to speak. So, um, you know, I think for us, it was just, you know, it was, it was one of those things where like, well, we can keep doing this or, and, and try to, try to see if it turns around. But, um, you know, it just like I said, life, life kind of life and perspective changes, and you just informs your decision in a different way. I think. So. Yeah, and some restaurants just truly do. They do their thing. They run their course, and it's the passing provisions is always going to be the source of a lot of really treasured memories for many, many Houstonians. I think it's something to be incredibly proud of. And you're definitely on trend. I've noticed a lot of chefs have transitioned to restaurants with a smaller footprint. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things that you just – I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say I I, I, I aspire to one day have you – know, like, I miss fine dining. I mean, I, I miss, like, you know, that that type of cooking. Um, I just think now it's a little harder to – to, to have an audience that, you know, like we found the past was like, you know, we get people be like, Oh, I love your restaurant. I took my wife there for anniversary five years ago. It was great. And then, you know, which was obviously you're, you're flattered by that, but it's like, we need you to come back and <laughs> once every five years. And it just, you know, and so, which I don't blame anybody for that. It's just, that was just the way it was, you know, but um, yeah. it's just, it's a harder ticket to sell. And I think this, you know, I, I mean, I, it's been strange being on the sidelines during this whole pandemic and um, in terms of watching, you know, you know, my friends and peers and stuff go through, with, especially in the early goings where it's like, it seemed like the game, the, the, the goalposts were being moved every, every two days or something like that. But I feel like at some point, 
it's just kind of accelerated any sort of reckoning that's going to come for restaurants, which is in terms of, you know, obviously you hear a lot about labor shortages, you hear a lot about, you know, skyrocketing prices, and I think it's it's all going to kind of not come to a head necessarily, but I think it's just going to have a long-term effect for sure. Yeah, it's difficult in those ways, and I, you know, I wish we had a crystal ball and we could say, well, this is when ingredient prices are going to start coming down again, but who knows? It's definitely made things more challenging. The staffing challenges just have have gotten a little more difficult. But with Elro, you, it's going to be a smaller place. You'll need less stuff, staff to help run it. And uh, pizzas are coming back, so that's a <laughs> that's a fun thing. How yeah. are you? Are, have you set up? Or are you going to set up special pizza ovens over at Elro? Um, yeah, I'm not, it won't be a wood-fired oven like it was at uh, Provisions. Um, obviously, the footprint of the restaurant is only about 1,200 square feet the entire building. So, um, you know, just trying to maximize as much space as possible. Um, so, I'm using an electric oven, um, it's, you know, it's, it's made specifically for pieces, but you can do breads and everything else in there, too. Um, but just more about with an eye on sort of efficiency uh, and, and obviously being able to cook a high quality product. Um, so just, you know, my motivation with this is, you know, I mean, pizza, there's no like, you know, mythical or like, you know, there's no like super romantic story. Like my Nana was making pizza and, you know, the old country or something like that. I just, I just, you know, it's one of those things that I enjoy making. I, it's kind of like one of those foods that never goes out of style and you know, I mean, pizza's pizza, right? I mean, people enjoy it. So uh, I think I could make a pretty good one. And so, and then, you know, the crudo stuff, it's just, I always have, I have an affinity for raw fish preparations. Um, just, it's something I think it's always, you know, been a, a favorite of mine to, to prepare. Um, and, you know, and, and like I said, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, Houston's hot. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to have something that's like, you know, not just, you know, obviously we had a big pasta program provisions and all that stuff. And I miss that stuff too. Um, but just having a little kind of like a balance between like, Something a little heavier um, in pizza, and then like something a little lighter, like just lighter vegetable preparations and raw fish, and you know there'll be some raw meat and stuff too. But just you know, just having that kind of that, that yin and yang. How much of the menu is developed? I mean, there's like um, I have sort of like a running tab, you know, like of just <laughs> ideas, uh, things that maybe I have had like unfinished ideas from from before or you know just inspired ideas from like more currently um so you know try to do some stuff you know testing on my own at home and stuff like that but until like you know i can actually get in the kitchen there and really um you know work with the equipment i'll have and and, and just kind of i mean obviously the place being tiny is going to certainly dictate what's feasible um in terms of scope of menu i mean obviously like it's easy to like to put together a menu like, oh, here's, you know, four or five salads, here's ten potential crudos, here's some pieces. And then I go, well, there's no way I can put that much stuff in the building product-wise or, you know, be able to serve that much stuff for this, you know, little 40-seat restaurant. Um, so just kind of honing it down. And I guess I really hope to have, like, you know, like these four, like you got to have this pizza or you got to have this app or whatever. And then, and then you know, here's the kind of things that kind of come and go as as – you know, um, seasonality and, and, and availability is the, uh, as it comes, you know. 
Do you have some idea of what the pizza toppings will be for the opening menu? Um, I have some ideas. Like, you know, I mean, obviously it would be kind of like standards, like, you know, just a straight margarita and things like that. But, um, yeah, so, some sort of version of like a, a tart bombay, some very, you know, definitely some, you know, more vegetable-focused ones. Um, I, I mean, I like mushrooms on my pizzas, so I, you know, definitely have a sort of a mushroom-focused one at some point. Um, and then, like, you know, just a couple fun, um, maybe something a little bit less traditional or something like that that's going to be on there. Um, Let's talk about the tart flambe, because I think uh, many people probably don't know what it is. Yeah, so uh, it's actually, like, not not a pizza necessarily, but it's um, sort of an Alsatian uh, dish where basically it's a flatbread. Uh, I mean, it literally means, like, uh, you know, like, it's on fire, basically, tart one day, basically. And basically, it's a flatbread roll up, super thin. I think my version will be more of like a pizza shape, necessarily, but, uh, then a little creme fraiche, usually some sort of smoked bacon, and then onions. And then it's just kind of like nice and crispy in the oven. Um, sort of like a, you know, country food. I mean, one of my, uh, former chefs, I used to work for Gabriel Couture, who's from Alsace, um, I worked from years ago at the Modern in New York, and, that was like one of his signatures in the casual side of the restaurant. And it was like, yeah, obviously like when you're like a young line cook, you just like always like go out and just steal one because it's so delicious. <laughs> but like it was one of the things that, you know, and a couple of the restaurants I worked at in New York also had them, um, place called August and stuff like that. So I've done a different, several different versions of them over the years. And it's just like one of those things that just, it's always satisfying. It's like, you know, it's a good blend of flavors. We can, you try to get the little char on the crust, a little smokiness from, from the bacon. Um, tartness from the, the crumb fresh and things like that. Is the crust brushed with olive oil before the onion and bacon go on? Uh, traditionally, no, but I mean, I think for for my version, um, so, so it will certainly kind of be more of like a pizza traditional hybrid with a be, you know, more of a round shape, more of like a pizza crust. Um, obviously, some olive oil on there too. So yeah, I think it would be more of just like a, a mashup. Gotcha. And I can't wait to try your version of that because it's not a dish that you see very often in Houston. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm not coming up with anybody who serves one, although there probably is somebody and I just don't know. Now, on your, yeah, probably. On your crudos, are there particular fish that you prefer for those more than others? I mean, it's, it's tough because, you know, I mean, obviously we all like, Big eye tuna and hamachi and kind of just like the the go to standards you'll get at like a um, a quality sushi place or like a poke place or something like that. Which um, those will probably be on there in some some shape or form just because their um, consistency is a, is, a, is a in terms of availability is there. Usually price is relatively consistent as well. Um, but you know, I mean, I would like to try to use push you know push the guests a little bit in in terms of using like maybe some oiler oilier fish like sardines or Spanish mackerel or things like that. Obviously, being by the Gulf, we can get plenty of snapper and things like that. Um, you know, me being from the Northeast, I, I really miss um, certain fish like fluke and a little more like lighter, more kind of delicate fish. Um, but, yeah, it just kind of depends what's available. I mean, I think having the um, – on the opening menu, definitely having just like kind of like the ones that I can certainly – you know, I know that are – People will, like I said, the tunas, the hamachis, the snappers that people will um, obviously respond to, that the people are used to seeing, but obviously having a little more, you know, specialty things too. So I, I, I love fresh sardines. I mean, 
you know, like cured or crudo style fresh sardines. Those are amazing. For sure. So yeah, it's always want to see what you can get them. It's nice, and and, and and like you know, they're they're not hard to find, but sometimes it's like you know, the fresh getting the, the quality that might can be contained can be difficult at times. But certainly oysters, um, you know, things like that. So it sounds like you will be dabbling into some of the raw fish preparations from a variety of cuisines. Yeah, I mean, I think. I, I, I wouldn't say there's a specific style necessarily. Um, I think just, you know, trying to make food taste good and like, you know, have it, make it, make it, make it look appealing to the eye. More importantly, make it appealing to the taste and, you know, make it approachable. I want, yeah, I want it to, I guess the important thing for me is that it's a place that people can go to try something maybe that, you know, it's, it's not going to be like, oh my God, I've never had this before, but like, oh, this is different or this is like a, a new, t- new twist on this or something like that. Um, but, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. just want to make some good food, um, you know, have some tasty beverages to go with it, and it's a fun, relaxed atmosphere. You know, it's pretty straightforward. Now, in addition to pizza and crudo, you'll also have a few other menu items. I have listed here salads, snacks, and sandwiches. Yeah, so I want to have, you know, just, again, um, give people some options. Um, and, again, I think the actual breadth of the menu will depend on a lot, you know, once we're like, kind of like in the kitchen and can figure things out, but obviously having some more kind of finger food, snacky stuff, whether it's, you know, some like more crispy fried items, like, you know, whether it's like chicken wings or whether it's, you know, some, you know, shiva peppers or something like that. And then, you know, um, certainly a couple salads. Um, I think it's obviously having a little bit of vegetables in the menu is a good idea. So, um, whether it's some, you know, some raw vegetable preparations on the crudo side or if it's more just, uh, um, you know, some sort of other represent, um, vegetable representation on the like more starter side. Um, yeah, try to have like I would say all told the menu I would imagine start to finish is probably about twenty items give or take. Um, and obviously, like I said, hopefully we'll have like you know some more specials and things like that we can work in a couple desserts here and there. So unless anything's changed since the press release I got, you'll have a total of twenty eight seats. In the lounge, 14 at the bar, 14 in the lounge area, which will have velvet banquettes. And it sounds like the big advantage for you is going to be outside, you can seat up to 40 guests. And, of course, outside dining, in part, thanks to the pandemic, has become just really, really desirable. How is the outside going to be set up? Uh, so... To be honest, it's still sort of TBD. Uh, the, you know, the current thinking is just like some picnic tables, uh, maybe a couple little two tops, things like that, like interspersed. Um, but really casual again, like just meant to be. It's kind of a cute, like little corner because, um, you've got, you know, there's a lot of development going on in the neighborhood. Um, there's a couple of larger apartment buildings going up. Obviously, you've got like Kuchard on the street who's been there forever and they always do a great job. You got like obviously some more. Fun bars and stuff going down Fairview, and then obviously, you know, going uh, Eastern, you got, you know, Midtown right around the corner. So I think having, like, I wouldn't, you know, as you all know, Houston's not the most walkable city, um, but I, I feel like in this particular neighborhood, there's an opportunity to have, like, more of that. And I think that's something that we always wanted at PMP that we never 
quite. I mean, we definitely got some neighborhood people, but it didn't. You know, I want. I really want this to be like a an asset to the neighborhood and a place that people can feel like they can get a pop in and out of. And and um, yeah, I think the outside will certainly allow that. Um, at least for a few months a year. I think sometimes Houstonians fancy themselves um, more outdoor patio people than they actually are sometimes. <laughs> 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 it's <very> delicately. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 temp- the temperature window is pretty pretty small. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think you know it will definitely allow us. Um, you know, the inside will be small. There's only like five or six tables, um, and then like the lounge is really just like kind of like a more of like a waiting area place you can have a drink and, and kind of you know hang out and, and just maybe have a small bite. Uh, but the bar will kind of be the center of attention, the focus, um, kind of a kind of wrap around, but it'll kind of be like some nooks and crannies where people can. Kind of come in, and uh, you know, it's, the, the bar will be meant to be, you know, a place you dine at, as, as as well as kind of have a drink. So it's 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 kind of meant to be that hybrid um, environment where it's not just like here's the tables and here's the bar where you hang. It's it's kind of meant to be more of a, you know, you guys come in. This you know, just, it's not it's not a big deal. So it doesn't feel that different than sitting at tables as at the bar. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think Houston strides towards becoming more walkable. It's, I mean, it's like watching the hour hand on a clock move. Right, yeah, <laughs> It's very yeah. slow. I think it, it will get there someday. It, you know, if they will do some things like fix the sidewalks, <laughs> that would Yeah, really I mean, that's the point. I mean, it's literally, like, where the sidewalk ends is, like, you know, half these neighborhoods in here. But, I mean, like, yeah, I, mean, I think the city's doing a good job now with their – obviously putting a lot of um, infrastructure in for like bike lanes and, and making trying to make it more safe for, for that uh, for cyclists and things like that in a lot of areas. I think you know there's plenty of room for improvement, but I think they're taking the steps in the right direction. And honestly, in our neighborhood where where the restaurants are going, there's you know it's like this it, the, the neighborhood's changing. So you know obviously Houston prides itself on not being zoned, um, but you have to you know there's some retroactive things that need to be done like you know. We're putting a restaurant in a house, so it's like we need to put like probably a crosswalk somewhere, and like we need to make sure the stop signs, and like make sure it's safe for guests and things like that. So it's, it's definitely like a, it's it's just part of the territory. I mean, every city's got its sort of de facto, you know, I mean, there's no zoning, but there is zoning. There's parking restrictions and there's you know regulations and stuff like that. So I think it's it, there's there's always a give and a take, and obviously like you know when. You know, I live in this neighborhood. You know, raising kids in the neighborhood, I want to. I want to be like a good neighbor and a good, a good person, a good, you know, part of the neighborhood and add to it. And and so, like, you know, whether it's, um, you know, obviously with a restaurant, but also just, you know, if there's anything we can do to help improve, what, you know, the overall, you know, life of the neighborhood. Yeah, and Elmer, it sounds like it's just going to be a, a fantastic place to just pop in, get. Some crudos, some pizza, something else, and get some wine. And that brings me to the bar, which you mentioned earlier. You were not just a chef at Passing Provisions, but you were also a wine buyer. Yep. And so you're bringing that skill set to Elro as well. What kind of wines are you thinking about bringing in? I mean, much like the um, the food menu, the wine list will be fairly succinct. Um, just overall storage will be a concern. Uh, so with that being said, certainly want to make sure we're giving people a fair amount of options in terms of style. And, you know, first and foremost, it's got to be delicious, right? I mean, and I think it's got to make sure, you know, obviously pairing with the food is nice, but this is, I mean, this is more of a, here's a delicious wine that is kind of versatile enough to go with most of the food, so, you know, and I think so. 
Yeah, I'd say a buy the glass menu of like eight to ten uh, offerings with like you know a couple fun sparklers, um, you know, four to three or four to five whites. I mean, I I've been trying to get. I mean, I, I I fly the white wine flag pretty high, you know. I definitely try to get Sonians to, to indulge, especially nowadays when there's a lot more um, interesting and refreshing, and it's not just like you know, it's not just you know, grapefruity Sauvignon Blancs anymore. There's plenty of things out there nowadays that like you that are widely available, that are interesting, delicious, and affordable. And so, just trying to highlight some of those, whether it be something from the old world or something from the new world, I think it's just there's just making sure that it's going to be um, you know, a first one tastes good, but also just, just just interesting and delicious. Yeah, and the white wines should some of them should go really really well with the various types of crudo as well as the non <clears throat> non red sauce pizzas. For sure, and then yes, I mean there's plenty of like I mean I think there'll be a semi you know probably a heavy lean towards Italy because there's some great value there in, in Italy and in, in France in the old world. Um, where you can get some really kind of just really high quality stuff and, and at an affordable price. Um, but also just good food wine. I mean, I think a lot of times, um, you know, when you find these winemakers that like that they're, they're striking, for, they're, they're shooting for balance. They're shooting for, um, just the quality of products that, you know, you try to match with the cooking. Are you also developing the cocktail program? Um, I mean, I have uh, sort of ideas for the cocktail program. I think that the, I don't have, um, you know, we haven't, I haven't hired anybody yet. Um, certainly has some people out there that I will, we'll, we'll, you know, look into and call. But um, I think when the time gets a little more closer to the opening or closer, you know, like build out being kind of completed. Um, but, yeah, I think that in terms of the spirits and the cocktails, definitely want to have, you know, it's not going to be a huge back bar, but there'll be certainly – the things most people are looking for in terms of if you want to come and get an old-fashioned or Negroni or vodka soda, all that stuff will be there, obviously. But um, I would say a handful of house, house specialties, you know, having maybe some lower alcohol ones, like Amaro-based ones, or just, just, just again, striking for balance. I think, you know, if there's, I think there's a the fun thing about cocktails, in my mind, is it's much like developing a food menu where, Maybe you're trying to highlight a few techniques, a few different styles. Um, this is the boozier side. This is the more refreshing and you know lighter side, and then just presentation. But again, um, you know, it, I really think it needs to be a place that's going to be more of a you know, it's, it's not going to take ten minutes to be your cocktail, so to speak. It's you know, it's, it's going to be a place where you know you can come and get what you, you know, it's a place that you know it's going to be. Here's here's a pitcher of beer. Here's a glass of wine. Here's you know couple of delicious cocktails and, you know, let us know when you want to order the food or whatever. So, um, again, just trying to trying to hit as many marks as, as possible in the, in the small space. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it's kind of a tightrope to walk between a tightly edited selection and just kind of making sure that you hit the bases on what it is that people are going to be looking for. You're going to have a selection, small selection of beer on tap as well, correct? Yeah, the plan is um, – you know, for beer, I mean, I like beer. I love drinking beer and having a lot of different styles of beer. Um, but I think it just, again, with the size of the place and having a small keg box that where I can have a couple standard bears and, you know, maybe definitely a couple local craft representatives on there. And, you know, just, just yeah, if you, you want to come and get a Lone Star, an ice cold Lone Star, it'll probably be there for you and things like that. So making sure that, you know, 
Well, we'll ha- hopefully have the options that people will want in terms of enough, enough, enough in terms of instead of just being like, here's this is a this is an, our version of this. Like, no, we'll, we'll have that that light beer for you, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever, whatever <laughs> I, you're in the mood for. Yeah, I think people really have grown to like concise, curated, well-edited menus instead of being presented with a hundred choices. It's like, you know, you're the chef, you know, you, you know what's good. Tell me, tell me what I want. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, mean, I definitely want it to be a place where, you know, I mean, probably don't need a lot of explanation to the menu. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, like if, if when you open the menu, I'll be like, oh, okay, that's, this all makes sense. Like, maybe I'll ask them where they get their pepperoni from or something like that. Or maybe, like, where's the, where's the, the you know, where's the tile fish coming from on the special today or something like that. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it should, it's something that shouldn't need a lot of explanation. You know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, I, I mean, I did have a debate with her, with my wife about whether people, you know, enough people know what crudo is. So that was, um, <laughs> they know what ceviche is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so I just, you know, I think there's a euphemism for being hungover. Oh, crudo. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so just, I, I think it'll be, like I said, hopefully some of the people can kind of come in and say, oh, that looks good. Let's get X, Y, and Z and, and kind of put the menu down and enjoy each other's company or just, you know, whatever, read, read the article on their phone or whatever. <laughs> Listen to podcast. I'm super curious about how much kind of like tear out and retrofitting does it require when you're building a restaurant in a house? Well, I'm certainly finding out currently. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of... Um, Stopping and starting that's, that's occurred. I don't know if it's, I think a good portion of it has been due to the pandemic. Um, you know, obviously city permitting is always a challenge. I think they hit quite a huge backup during the pandemic. And so I yeah. think now they're, now they're kind of slowly digging themselves out. So it's, I mean, I'd hope this restaurant would be open a, a, a year ago. So it's been, it's been quite a, uh, I mean, I, I think I'm past the point of frustration at this point. It just, it just is what it is, and when it's you've come to the just, acceptance point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was, I think, <laughs> you know, back before the holidays, I was pretty uh, like, "What the hell is going on? Is, is this thing ever going to happen?" Kind of thing, and you know, because it, and like I said in the beginning, my, my, in my mind, it's such a small thing. It shouldn't take very long at all, but because just you know, things I don't know about, like engineering and and things, you know, permitting and things like that. Um, have proven to be a, a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it's it's super tough. Yeah, it's the, it's the serenity prayer thing, you know. Grant, <laughs> grant me the grace to accept what I can't change. Right. And exactly. So far, you can push City of Houston to get going. Yeah, I, I've talked to a couple of new restaurant owners that it's taken months longer than they really thought it would, yeah. and some of it's permitting, some of it is construction labor, and some of it is supply chain issues. Yeah, it's it's definitely a confluence of things. And, and, you know, it's like, it, it's a little scary because of, the thing that scares me the most is just the cost of it. I mean, restaurants are obviously a very, the irony is people think restaurants are this cash cow and they're quite the opposite. Um, but, uh, you know, just the startup costs and operating costs, I mean, I'd much rather pay a line cook and, you know, a few extra bucks an hour than have to pay for, you know, 30% of 
it more for a cooler just because they're in short supply. Like, you know, and, and, and so, um, so it's just trying to find that balance and figure out how to do it. I mean, there's going to be some challenges for sure. And it's like, I just kind of resign myself to the, the fact that I'm going to have to be flexible, have to adapt. I mean, restaurants are always a problem solving business to begin with. Um, so this is just another, another one of the situations. Is there anything else that you would like for our listeners to know about Elro? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot of them. Certainly looking forward to seeing everybody again and cooking for all of you. And um, definitely, you know, I'm excited um, to get back out there. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to being able to have your food again. It's been far too long. And are you still hoping, I mean, obviously nothing's carved in stone because of all the variables, but are you still hoping to be open by the end of spring? I mean, that's, that's I'm really kind of, it's hard to say I'm like putting my money on it, but I'm kind of putting my money on it just because, um, in my mind, I, I'd like to be open before summer. I'd like to, you know, kind of uh, get a foothold in, in the neighborhood before, before the heat kicks in. But also, you know, I think it's, it, it, when it happens, it happens, so. I'll certainly keep you posted, obviously, via social media um, and, and, and otherwise, but um, yeah, I'm shooting for spring. That sounds wonderful, and I certainly look forward to seeing Elro when it opens. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll be eagerly anticipating the opening. Thanks so much, Peter. It's great talking to you. Thanks great talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.